0: It's time for the podcast you've been waiting for, the show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Daily DLP. I'm your host, Ash Thompson, and today I'm going to give you a preview of the Minnesota Vikings offense. Mm -hmm. It's weird to be doing one of these at this point in the season, ah, for a division opponent specifically, but here we are, the NFL decided to put both of the Lions and Vikings games in a three-week period to close out the season for some reason. So let's start with looking at the coach responsible for this mess. Kevin O'Connell is a San Diego State grad who was a running quarterback in college. He was the school record holder for rushing yards when he graduated from a quarterback, and he even actually led their team in rushing yards in 2007. He ran a 4 6 at the combine, and this is the first time I can recall that I've had a 40 time on a coach, but now I'm curious, I'm probably going to see if I can find those next year. <laughs> uh, with 8-inch, or 8-7-8-inch hands, 34-inch length arms, and solid athletic numbers across the board, he probably should have switched positions at some point and he might have had a little bit better career. Not that he did that badly. Most of these guys never even get drafted. Uh, he went to the Patriots at the end of the third round in the 2008 draft. Uh, his career stats are four for six for 23 yards, so uh, let's, let's not get too excited about his NFL, NFL career. Uh, he was waived by the Pats in the 2009 preseason and picked up by the Detroit Lions, who traded him to the Jets for a seventh-round pick. And they named him a team captain for their September 20th game against the Patriots who had drafted him. Uh, And he held on with the Jets for the rest of that season Uh, and some weird accounting. Uh, He was released in 2010 before immediately being signed to a two-year contract uh, because it was discovered that he had torn his labrum during his time with the Jets. And you can't cut an injured player. So to avoid a lawsuit, they signed him to a two-year contract with a nice big signing bonus. Uh, <laughs> just an interesting tidbit about their head coach. Um, in 2012, the Chargers suffered a couple preseason injuries and O'Connell briefly joined them as a camp arm. And that was the end of his playing career. And he didn't take a standard r- route to uh, coaching in the NFL. Like there's no triumphant return to his alma mater for an interim gig. Like you've heard me say probably f- 10 times this, this year. Uh, He gained notoriety as the quarterback coach who helped Johnny Manziel fake like he had decent enough mechanics to be an NFL quarterback in the lead up to the 2015 draft. He faked it so well, in fact, that after drafting Manziel, the Browns made O'Connell their quarterback's coach. A year later, he was with the San Francisco 49ers for a season. And uh, then he ended up with Jay Gruden, who, shocking to everybody... Until John did some stuff. uh, Ended up being the less terrible Gruden brother. Weird scale. Uh, He uh, he hired O'Connell as the quarterback's coach for Kirk Cousins in his last year. Before Cousins moved on to a significantly less toxic organization. Uh, Ron Rivera decided not to hold on to him. Um, That's when O'Connell joined the Rams. Which at a certain point seemed to yearly result in their offensive coordinator or quarterbacks coach being poached for a head coaching position so kevin o'connell became the head coach of the minnesota vikings he is the vikings 10th head coach in their entire existence and for scale if you count interims and emergency head coaches the lions have had 10 since 2001 It's a little bit more stable organization in Minnesota overall. Uh, The Vikings offensive scheme is pretty much just a copy-pasted Rams offense with the Vikings players' talents having been taken into account. They run the ball basically with two plays. They run outside zone and they run duo, and that is pretty much what they run. One of those is a zone off tackle and the other one is a zone up the middle. That's their rushing offense. It's not super complicated. They rely on repetition to be their advantage. They know their play better than you know their play. Uh, they have elite playmakers in the passing game uh, in the form of Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson. And if there is a better three-deep group, I can't name... my Healthy Miami. Never mind. <laughs> um, the The Vikings could be in that tier as Addison completes his rookie season. And that's why for a few weeks that Josh Dobbs hero ball stuff worked is because it, it is the opposite of, of what teams could prepare for with the Minnesota Vikings. They had no reason to expect any of that stuff. And as people got used to it, so did the Vikings performance with Josh Dobbs, a quarterback, because he can't run the offense. They actually want to run Nick Mullins. Isn't great, but he can run that offense. Uh, Their primary running back is Alexander Madison, who is nothing special, but fills the role of guy who gets the ball. And this is where the first key to handling the Vikings offense comes. Uh, Madison has been prone to fumbles in key moments. It's not that he's fumbled a lot. This year, he only has three registered fumbles. But it's when he's pushing for extra yards in key situations, he gets sloppy. Uh, He's under four yards per carry and is still their lead back, so... The running game isn't really something you need to be concerned with in Minnesota. But it's really important not to get caught up in how well stopping the run is going, because then you become prone to play action. Like, a lot of people think you need to run the ball well for play action to work, and that is just statistically not true. And I have a theory why. And this is based on absolutely zero data that I've crunched. This is just, what is a thing that makes sense about that? It's effective, play action that is, when you are really good at running the ball or when you're really bad at running the ball. Like the first one causes fear in defenses; players start trying harder to stop the run because if you can't stop the run, you are dead in the NFL. In the second case where you're not good at running the ball, uh, defensive players are kind of like sharks smelling the blood in the water. Uh, everyone wants the day that Ifiatu Milifon will just had, where they are the man and they are piling up tackles for loss and sacks. Everything is going great, and you know their mom gets to see them on Sports Center. When a defense is stuffing the run, players get caught up in that success, and this is why Matthew Stafford had such good results in play action, despite the fact that there was no rushing game. One, he put effort into it. Sometimes. Well, but for the most part, he just popped the hand out, popped it back in, and because people knew they could get a tackle for loss on Theo Riddick, they went after Theo Riddick. The Lions can't fall prey to this, particularly the linebackers' and safeties, because they've done it at times this year. This is like the Lions' occasional difficulty with play action is actually part of how I formed this theory, is just watching, like, what is happening here? They're stopping the run. Why is play action working so well against them? It's because they are the they want to be the one making that play. They're so excited to get in there and do that. Like, Jack Campbell should feast on Madison. If he should be able to effectively key on him as well. And Kevin O'Connell uses that to sneak receivers into the suddenly more open areas of zone defenses. That's how the Lions defense potentially loses this game. I'm Alex Rodriguez. But what about the passing game? Uh, Because as I've said, they have some spectacular weapons. Uh, The Lions need to do what they did against the Broncos. It's pretty simple. When the Lions defense gets pressure, they're fine. Everything is great when they win up front. When they can't get pressure, they're terrible. That's not that hard. (laughs) You can't cover anybody for eight seconds, and you definitely cannot cover the Minnesota receivers for more than three. Like, you could argue that's true for pretty much any defense, but the Lions' defense goes the way of its pressure more than most because they have to blitz to get that pressure. Specifically, they have to blitz their best coverage linebacker and their defensive backs to get that pressure. It should not be that hard to figure out why that's really bad when those blitzes don't get there. I've often thought this season that the Lions should have a game where they drop 8 guys a ton just to play against their own type on 3rd down. Run like a 3-3 NASCAR with Hutch, Bruce Irvin, and Kaminsky rushing. E. Campbell, and Anzalone is like the second-level linebackery-type defenders. Maybe throw JRM in instead of Iffy. Put that under a cover to Shell with CJGJ and Kirby Joseph with Cam Sutton and whoever gets the nod at the other cornerback spot basically just mauling Addison and Jefferson at the line. That takes away a lot of what Minnesota does in the passing game, so I mean... Would not shock me if this was the week where the Lions pulled something like that out. I don't usually get like that specific or weird with these, but if they were going to pull something like that out, this is the week. Because that adds a whole new wrinkle of stuff that the Cowboys have to get ready for next week, whether the, the Lions ever do it again or not. And uh, getting that whole train off the rails is also an important thing. But I think it would also just work well against the Vikings. Because the Lions have to either cover well enough that the pressure gets there or pressure well enough that the coverage holds for long enough. And like this week, Nick Mullins isn't going to punish you with his legs. The Vikings would absolutely have been better off against the Detroit Lions defense with Josh Dobbs in the game, uh, despite his other many deficiencies. But as of the time I'm recording this, it looks like Mullins is the starter. Uh, Everything else Dobbs does doesn't really match well with the O'Connell offense. And therein lies the issue. They can either completely change their whole offense for everybody or they can play with a quarterback that is just 60% of the regular quarterback. The Vikings offense is predictable. Not bad. But they, like I said, run basically two run plays and they rely on their playmakers to make plays in the air, not so much with these scheming, open-elf guys. It's not the new Sean McVay offense. It's the old Sean McVay offense that this team is running. So the final key for the defense... Basically, just prepare, prepare, prepare. Because the Vikings' offense is not particularly creative. The Lions' DBs need to know the Vikings' playbook so that they are running the routes for those receivers. The Week 18 rematch might not matter at all if the Lions take care of this one. Like, it might not even have seating issues. So there's no reason this week to not unleash every single thing you have to just lock up the division... And then let the Vikings show you their adjustments to what you did this week, because you have to play them again next year. As you are sitting your starters going into the playoffs, watching what Hendon Hooker can do with Jamison Williams in Week 18. Tomorrow, I'm going to do the defense. See you then. Let's bring it in here together. Lines on three. One, two, three. Rise. Uh, you've had enough of that shit. This episode is brought to you by HyperIce, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself.